Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you well? Fifteen seconds feels like an awful long time to get my table out here, and I still didn't get it done, so apologies. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to see all of you. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and um, I could start a couple different ways. I have something prepared that I really want to work through. I think it's important that we hear that, um, but I'm also sensing that what Samantha started to say about uh, the work that God is doing um, about offense and some stuff like that, I, I get a sense that the Lord might be leaning into that a little bit. So what say you? <laughs> Dude, I only have 35 minutes. So anyways, all right, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to do my message the way I intended to give it. Um, I suspect that what Samantha was leaning into, which I think was from the heart of God about the church being united in brotherly, sisterly love, not taking offense. I think that will play into my message. So I, I believe it's just a great opportunity for us to just lean in and hear what God is saying. How many people know the adage, um, you know, don't forget to stop and smell the roses, the whole, the whole idea. And, you know, as a kid, stuff like that doesn't matter much to you. But when you become older, like those wise, pithy things just sort of pierce your heart. And, and um, I will say this, in the church, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it would be wise if we would to stop and smell the roses now and again. And by that, I mean that we would stop and we would allow the things that God is saying to us uh, by way of what Samantha just said. She just kind of quickly said something uh, um, from the Lord that, that the Lord wants to deal with offense and, and all of that. I think that's real for us. And we move sometimes too quickly through it and past it. And this is why I'm pausing. And you're like, get on with it, Jeff. I'm like, I will, I will. But this is why I'm pausing because I want us to make sure that we're stopping to listen to the Lord when he speaks. Are we listening to the Lord when he speaks? Are you listening to the Lord when he speaks? And he speaks in church. Hallelujah. He, he speaks in our devotional time when you're reading scripture. He will speak to you in your car. When you're driving, he will speak to you, and don't throw rocks, but he will speak to you at Walmart sometimes, I swear to God. Like, he will speak to you sometimes in, in the most hellish place on earth. God will oftentimes still speak. And I just want us to just think for a moment, God is speaking to us. So, okay. Good enough. Let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about the church today. We're going to have our annual business meeting after this, uh, our time this morning, and we're going to hang out. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some financial numbers. We're going to talk about some other things. And if that like pulls on your chain and you want to hang out with us, please stay. It's going to be a good time. We'll have a little Q&A afterwards if, if you have questions and stuff. 
But in, in that vein, I just want to talk about what the church is. What is the church? When you, when you uh, read through scripture, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, that you'll, you'll find that um, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek and a little bit of Aramaic, um, not in English, but we have the church, we have the word church, the English word church in our, our Bibles. And typically the Old Testament word that's translated as church or the Greek word that's translated as church, it simply means gathering. It simply means assembly. So I don't think it would shock many people here to know that when, when the Bible is talking about church, it's not talking about a building, right? Now that's the vernacular that we use in our modern day. Hey, I was married in that church. Hey, my grandfather's funeral was in that church. Hey, I used to go to that church. And when we say those things, we're pointing to a building. We're not specifically talking about a people, but the, the Bible in particular, when it's talking about church, it's talking about an assembly, a group of people. And more importantly, the Bible would tell us that it is God himself who is making for himself a people. I think we used the language the bride earlier. The, the, the church is considered the bride of Christ, which gets real weird for guys in the room, I understand. Right? But we are a people that have been drawn towards God by the power of his Holy Spirit, and we have fallen in love with his son Jesus, the bridegroom, and we will be united with him for all eternity. And that's the picture of that relationship. But it's the work that God himself is doing. He's drawing the people. In the Old Testament, he says things like this. He says, um, I've called you among all of the other nations on the earth, and there's a bunch of people on the earth, but I've called you, Israel, to be mine. I've chosen you to be mine. And sometimes we just get so myopic when we read the scripture that we think that, that the Israelites were the only people living. They weren't. There's a bunch of other people. And God continues to say that I've chosen you, not because of how great you are, how big your numbers are, or, or the great things you've done. I've chosen you because of my love for you. And when God is drawing his people, when he's creating a church, when he's building an assembly, a gathering of people, he's doing so by his love for us. We, uh, we see that, that, that relationship with God established in the Old Testament through uh, law, the law of Moses. We call this the Mosaic law. This is all the do's and don'ts in the Old Testament, all the fun stuff that you like to read your kids before they go to bed, all those things, right? So we have the, all the do's and don'ts, and we learn quickly, right? It doesn't take long to figure out that we as a people, we cannot keep all the, the law of God. We can't keep the Mosaic law. We continually fall short. We continually have to bring a sacrifice to the Lord in the Old Testament. You read these stories. We continually aren't living up to the way that God wants us to live. And so we fast forward into the New Testament and we're introduced to someone else named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who then says he's going to take the, 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 the role of the sacrifice that we would take to the temple or the, the sacrifice that we, would, that we would offer to make atonements for our sin before God. Jesus says, I will give my life for you. So no longer are we required to give bulls and goats and pigeons as a sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice for us on the cross. And then that becomes the message of the church. 
That becomes the message that the people of God carry with them and, and proclaim, we would say this, gospel. We would gospel to others. We would proclaim this message to other people that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died for your sins and you can have a reconciled relationship with God and the hope of eternal life with him and an abundant life here and now through the work that Jesus Christ has done alone, period, and amen. Amen? And this is the message that the church teaches. This is the message that the gospel writers talk about. Paul and the Apostle Paul and his letters or his epistles to all the churches that we read about in the New Testament, he's continually reminding them of these things, that we are no longer bound by the law of Moses, but we are free now in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And so the message of the church should look like that. We continue to preach that message. Jesus, after his resurrection... And before his ascension back into heaven, he commissions his apostles, his disciples to go forth, right? And to preach the good news to those, to baptize those, and to let this message of salvation through Jesus Christ to permeate the earth and to establish the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. And the church has done that for a long time. And, the, and if we could look at the church history of, of, of the church in the last 20 centuries or so, we'll see that. But something unique has changed in the last century or so. And that's what I want to talk about today. The church was incredibly important to the early church. The church is incredibly important to God. Say amen. Yes. Yes, it is. And yet in the last century or two, we have seen people pull away from the church. And they have this, this misunderstanding. And I'm, I'm careful what I say here, but... Um, all right. My email is jeff at rendicator... Dot org. If I say something that just doesn't like jive with you, it's all good. Like, think about it, send me an email. Like, we'll talk about it later. But let me just give you what I think. The last century to, to some people have pulled away from the church and they have this misunderstanding that somehow you can have a vibrant relationship with God through Christ Jesus and have no relationship with, her, with his church, his bride. And I think it's a misunderstanding. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't societal pressures from our culture around us that lean into that. And we take things like offense that we've talked about earlier. Well, that, I won't go to that church ever again because those people are, ugh, and you say the word, right? I get that. I get that. But at no point do we see in, in Scripture where, where Jesus was offended and decided to just walk away from people. That he was continually offended by people. In fact, on the cross, when he says, I could call legions of angels to come defend myself, but I'm not going to do that. He says these words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That offense, and, and if there's anyone on the earth that should have been offended is Jesus Christ himself because of what people did to him. An undeserved crucifixion, right? But he doesn't hold it, hold it against them. And yet we sometimes do. So I'll move quickly through a couple quotes that I think uh, tell the story maybe better than I do. Uh, in the third century, there's a North Af African bishop named Cyprian, and he said this. He warned those who abandoned the church. This is the, the third century. He said that this person can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. <laughs> Jeff at rendicator.org. Just send him my way. 
Now, b- before we go like, this feels like a little capital R, capital C, Roman Catholic kind of thing, like somehow the church holds the door open to whether or not people get in or not. I'm not arguing for syncretism. I think the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ alone. Say amen, amen. And yet Cyprian in the third century has some understanding, probably church tradition or something, but has some understanding that the church also plays a role, a primary role, much like a mother to a child. That there's something that the church can offer to people that you cannot, hear me, you cannot get from any other institution because God did not establish another institution to do so. It is, in fact, the church that does something. Now, I'm telling you, man, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't have a clue. I've been in this church game for a long time. I don't understand it all. It is somewhat mystical. Magical is the wrong word, but it feels right. It's mystical. It's supernatural. But there's something that happens to the gathered assembly when Jesus Christ is exalted, when he's praised, and the gospel is preached, that something happens to us. It changes us. And Cyprian seems to have understood that. You can't have God for your father and not the church as your mother. You need them both. All right. Send me the emails. Roger Olson, he's a a professor emeritus at the University of Baylor, Baylor University in Texas. They have a seminary there. He's one of the seminary professors. But he spent many years um, researching and writing a book that is profound. It's called The Mosaic of Christian Belief. And he looks at the last 20 centuries of unity and diversity in the church, capital C church, all the unity and all the diversity. And in that book, he has a chapter on the church and he says this, for much of Christian history, the great tradition of Christian thought held that the church, which is the body of Christ, this is the language that Paul uses, they held the church in high regard. So for the past 20 centuries or so, the church by its tradition has been held in high regard. Regard. He continues, though, with this idea that the very idea of authentic and vital Christianity apart from the church was virtually unheard of before the 20th century. Like it's only in the last hundred plus years do believers now feel like the church is an extra. Like I can have Christ, I have the Bible, sola scriptura, yay. All those things, but the church is somehow an extra thing. Like if I can squeeze it in seriously between my tea time and my, my uh, kayak time or my Netflix binge time or whatever the thing is, that somehow it's an extra thing. And I just want to make the case that I think that's an incorrect thinking and that there is some need for the church in our lives. Uh, John Stott is a theological, wait for it, Dud. I love this dude. If you don't know who John Stott is, um, he just died, I don't know, last 15 years or so, but he has so much wonderful things to say. I ran across this quote from him, and I'll just land the plane with this. It says, if the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and in the gospel itself, then it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? And how dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? (laughs) I hear a, who do we think we are, right? I I tell you, I'll be honest with you, pastorally, I think I know who you think you are. I think you think, oh, here we go. I think you think 
you're in charge. I think you think that you get to do whatever you want. <laughs> and I'm telling you, 100% you can. But you can't do that and be a Christian. Because when you're a Christian, what, what's, the, what's the, 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 the word they use in the, in the Bible, the New Testament? We become a bond servant or a slave to Christ. That he chooses. And somehow we've misplaced the chair in the throne room that is our heart, and we placed our own desires and our own needs in the center, and we push Jesus, the little, like, nativity-sized Jesus, <laughs> to the side. And we do what we want to do when it makes sense for us, and when it... it uh, do you guys still like me, yes or no? Just... You don't have to, Jeff at rendicator.org. Send the emails. Let's have great discussions about this. I'm just saying, pastorally, I think there's, there's a miss. If we had an engine that had eight cylinders, I feel like two of them aren't firing because some people don't take seriously the need of the church in their lives. And I, hear me. Oh my gosh, I'm so far off notes. Um, I love, oh, this is going to, okay. I love your Bible study at the river and at Starbucks. I love that. I think that's great. Hear me. That's not the church. It's good. It's extra. It's awesome. In fact, if you could give up something, give up other things so that you could have more Bible studies. But there's something unique about the church. We could discuss what that looks like, but I'm just telling you, you know what it is because you know what it is. I'll leave it there. You know you need the church is what I'm trying to argue. But too often we just push the church away. So this week during my study, I was reading through Hebrews and I ran across a verse that's pretty familiar to some of you, probably to everyone. And I want to work through this little passage. So if you follow with me to Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read verses 19 through 25. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Could be the Apostle Paul. Could be someone else. We don't know. Could be Priscilla, right? Some people think, which would be awesome that a, a woman wrote a book in the Bible. But we don't know. It doesn't say. So here's what the writer says to Hebrews or Jewish believers. He says these words. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he, Jesus, has opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. What is going on? Give it a minute. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us now, the believers in Christ, draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. These are great, beautiful metaphors that God has done a work in us that no amount of sacrifice, no amount of contrition, no amount of confession could do. Christ has done something for us. He has sprinkled us and he's made us clean. So, verse 23. So let us hold fast now the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what? Is faithful. He is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to do good works. And then here's the verse that maybe you're familiar with. And let's not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That last verse, verse 25, um, I, I heard quoted so much in 
2020, 20, right? Remember when the, you guys remember the pandemic? Wasn't that so much fun? Don't you always want to go back to that? I mean, you remember like in March when, when things were starting to shut down and churches were closing, there's some government mandated, all this kinds of stuff. And you, every talking head on every piece of media started quoting, misquoting, I should say, that verse that we should not stop meeting together. What's it say again? Verse 25, it says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And as I'm watching these people fight on social media, I was flashing back to my childhood of watching Warner Brother cartoon figures argue whether or not it was duck season or rabbit season. <laughs> it just went back and forth. Back. Is anyone, all the old people are picking up what I'm putting down, right? This is Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny, right? And it's just, they just misunderstood. And I understand, I'm not even going to get into what that looks like. I'm just saying the writer of Hebrews says that there's something that the church offers. And so don't stop meeting together. Like do whatever you can do to meet. If that means not staying out till two in the morning on Saturday night, I don't know. If that means doing something else, that means finding a place, if that means connecting with other people, if that means taking a bus, saving up, I don't know what it looks like, but the writer of Hebrews would say that you should not neglect meeting together. And here's why. Look at verse 19. One of the roles of the church is that, is that it helps people in the church as we continue to preach Jesus Christ, that it helps them have confidence or an assurance of their faith. Life's hard, Yes. It's hard. Sometimes it just like clamps onto you like a bear trap and you're dragging all kinds of stuff with you. And I'm telling you, man, we come into church sometimes and you hear the message of Jesus Christ, that he loved the world, that, he, that God would send Jesus, that he gave his life willing. Like while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we take all the things we could possibly ever do and all of a sudden we see Jesus' love for us supersede everything we could possibly have done to separate us from God. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter the things you did last week or the things you might have murmured under your breath at Walmart or the things you might have said at the DMV or whatever the place is, right? All the things, and you come into, and, a guy, and this guy with the mic starts preaching Jesus Christ, forgives sins. doesn't matter how religious you are or non-religious you are, not how great you were last week or not great last week, but Jesus Christ levels the playing field and you are saved because of his work. And the confidence that you have in that is bolstered every time you come to church, if you come to church. If you come to church. And, and it, it, it lifts you up. It pulls you out of dark places. I, I, I can just see the eyes looking at me. Like the depression that some of you will find yourself in is because there's a voice inside of you lying to you that you are not worthy. That your deeds far outweigh everything else that God could say or think about you. And it is not true. Christ loves you. God loves you. He has saved you through his son, Jesus Christ. He'll never undo that. That is available to you. And every week that we gather, we say this. You have confidence in this. That voice is a liar. It's a liar. I don't know many other institutions on the earth that will give you that assurance outside the church. I don't know any. You're probably not hearing it from your job. You're probably not hearing it even in your marriage sometimes or your family dynamic or whatever your situation is. But at the church, you hear it. You have the assurance, the confidence that Jesus Christ 
has prepared a place that he's made a way for you and you can walk through it. That there is no longer a separation between God and man based on the sin of humanity because Jesus Christ has dealt with that. Is this resonating with anyone? And so we can have confidence, verse 19, to enter into the holy place, or the place where God is, by the blood of Jesus. And this, verse 20, he says, is a new and living way that he opened for us. I love the fact that we were singing that song, Battles, earlier, that says that all I'm going to do is just praise, all I'm going to do is bow, all I'm going to do is worship him because he has done all the work. We don't have to battle the wall between us and God because Jesus took care of it. And the veil or the curtain that separated humanity from God through sin has been removed. Read the gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke and read where Jesus breathes his last and he cries up to heaven on the cross. And it says, those writers tell us that in that moment, there was a veil in the temple that was torn from top to bottom. That in the, in the temple, where the holy place where God was and the outer courts where everyone else was, that the, te- that the veil had been torn when Jesus gave his life that we have access to the Father, and it is a new way. It is not through sacrifice, and it is not through religious activity. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. I'll move on. I'm not a scary person, I promise. I just am passionate about this. Verse 21, it says, we have a great priest over the house of God, so we can now what? Draw near to him. We don't have to be afraid of him. If you don't know Jesus, you should be very, very afraid of who God is because he will come to judge sin. And you would be called a sinner. But in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. So we can draw near with a true heart, with the full, there it is, assurance of our faith. Verse 23, it says this, that we should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he has promised, he who has promised is faithful to us. And here's another aspect of the church here in verse 24. It says that we should consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. I doubt there's another institution on the earth that does that, that tries to stir us up to love one another and to do good works. I mean, there are many other good charitable organizations, but not not the way that the, the, the... the Bible talks about it. Um, so I've been taking a, a class recently for grad school. I'm studying interpersonal communication. It's, uh, it's a bore, I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> 100% a bore, it's scholarly reading. I hate it with everything inside of me. Uh, but I signed up for it, so I'm gonna finish it. But one of the things that I, I've learned in my studies, studies of interpersonal communication this last uh, semester is that we as people, when we communicate with other people, we're always trying to save what scholars call face. We want to save face. So we're trying to always look better than we are. We're always trying to not offend somebody by saying this. If they offend us, we try to act like we're not offended. But we're always trying to save face, except in one type of, of relationship the family relationship. This would come to no surprise to any of you that in the family relationship, interpersonal communication, that you are more quickly to get angry, to show emotion, to get frustrated, and you don't care about saving face with your family. Am I right? Right? And why is that? It's because they've seen you at your worst and your best and vice versa. You've seen them. There's no reason to save face in front of them. I say all that to say this. The church is family for us. 
We sometimes can move quickly to frustration and reveal anger and become frustrated. And so much, in fact, we talked about earlier, some people just leave the church altogether. But I'm telling you, that's the beauty of what God's done in the church. Because when you have a real relationship that's not built on, on, on uh, suppositions or built on, on facades or anything else, you can actually have a genuine relationship with someone from the heart. All of that to say this. So when someone's acting a fool, we get to tell them in love. Why? Because we're family. Like this is, that's 100% ridiculous what you're doing right now. Right? Not you particularly, but you're like, what do I do? <laughs> but this is probably better right here. Hans, 100% ridiculous what this guy's doing. Right? No, seriously, we get to do that. Why? Because we love each other. And then we take what Sam was saying. That's why I think this all folds in together like a big cream on top of the dessert. But we fold in and we don't take offense at it. Or if you're offended, you go home and sleep on it. You know, back in high school, when our kids were in high school sports, the coaches always had this 24-hour rule, right? Remember when they, they wouldn't put your kid in, you get so frustrated, you want to go talk to the coach, they go, no, 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 24 hours. And you go home and think about it, and then you, you get tempered, and you just mellow. Yeah, you might get offended by something that I say today. That's fine. All I ask, 24 hours. Then send the email. Send it. And let's have a conversation. This dynamic of giving assurance and encouraging one another through love happens in the church. I would argue only happens in the church. And yet in the last century or so, so many followers of Christ, if we can call them that, I'm not to judge them, have decided they don't need the church, that they'll do this on their own. Roger Olson would say, that there is no Lone Ranger Christianity found at all in Scripture, and it ain't found at all in 19 centuries of church tradition. It's something unique and different. And I think it's, um, I think it's wrong. I'll just leave it there. So I have only a few moments left. I'm almost finished. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the church renaissance. Now, so, so about 10 years ago, 12, no, 13 years ago now, um, I was part of a Bible study that wanted to sort of grow into a church. And we were doing this um, Bible study where we'd meet every week on Sunday nights. And then once a month, we would rent uh, a third floor, like, banquet room at the Decatur Arts Council. Has anybody ever been to the third floor of the Decatur Arts Council? And so we'd rent that once a month and we would have church service down there. And we'd invite friends to come in. We'd, we'd book a PA and we'd bring a band in. We'd preach and had to take communion. It was a blast. And we did that for a number of months and we began to realize we really need a place to, to meet every week where we can have worship and communion and a bigger space to invite more people. And um, we ran across this building here. Now, it was the building next door, but it was downstairs. The first floor of that building was for rent. And um, I met with the landlord, and I said, I think we'd like to rent this space to have a church. And he's like, okay, $1,000 a month. And I said, uh, excuse me? <laughs> and, you, and you're going to pay for the utilities? He goes, no, no, $1,000, and you pay for all utilities. I'm like, oh my gosh. So we didn't know what to do. So I brought a friend of mine who's also a pastor in town, and he came to the building with me. 
And we went in the building and we prayed and we left and we're crossing the street into the parking garage. And I'll never forget this. He says this to me. He says, Jeff, I think it's a great space. I think you guys can make a run of it. I think it's gonna be awesome. But I have one question for you. Are you ready for this? He says, are you ready for this? At the time, I was only make, writing sermons about once a month, right? We were doing the Arts Council thing once a month. And so I told him, I said, yeah, it's going to be pretty hard writing sermons every week. <laughs> and he goes, oh, Jeff, sermons will be the easiest thing you have to do. And I, I, I laughed it off. I had no idea what he's talking about. Let me tell you some things that happened the first few years of Renaissance's existence. We met Sunday nights only. We did not meet Sunday mornings. Everyone told me that was the wrong thing to do. I had a pastor friend of mine in town says, Jeff, I follow your church plant with some um, fascination because you do everything wrong <laughs> and yet the church continues to grow. We had a, a number, one particular Sunday night, we had the band up, getting ready to start worship and a guy was invited from another guy to come in. He sits down, the band starts to play the first song and he pulls out a harmonica, yes, a harmonica, and joins the band to start playing a harmonica with the band. And no, it was not in the same key as the rest of the band. And I, th I thought to myself, well, that's an unusual thing. And then, and I look around the room and everyone's looking at me, they're saying, hey, Pastor Jeff, you probably should deal with this. And so I tell him, hey, you can't do that. Okay, I'm fine. During my message, he, he literally mocks me through my entire message. From, the, from out there, he's just mocking me, right? And at, at the end of the service, we had a little prayer time. We're going around praying for people. He wants to get involved in prayer time. He starts praying for people. And I said, oh, this, will know, this is not gonna work. Like, come to find out he was so drunk, he then urinated on himself right in the middle of our sanctuary. He, um, the words of my friend says, oh, Jeff, writing sermons will be the easiest thing you'll have to do, rung in my ears. I had um, couples in my office those first couple years um, confessing their infidelity towards one another, um, hoping that their marriage can be restored. If there's anything I could offer by words of wisdom that could help them would be appreciated. I had to officiate the funeral of a friend of mine that I actually went to high school with who shot himself and um, it was just a terrible thing. I had to officiate funerals of, of people that I didn't know, that, of grandparents that are coming to the church. I, 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 on and on it went. We had the craziest first few years. And I remember my friend said, Jeff, writing sermons will be the easiest thing you have to do. So even though we did everything wrong, according to my pastor friend, the church continued to grow. And about five years ago, in 2017, we embarked on something we'd never done before. We started a building campaign. For the first time ever, I stood on the platform and I asked the people, the assembly, the church, if they wouldn't give money so that we can renovate more room. The space that we're sitting in is that room that we started some five years ago when we raised money. Now, when we put together that idea to raise money, I had our tech team at the time put together a short video to sort of promote this idea. Um, I ran across that video uh, this last week. I want to play it for you. Is that okay? So it's three minutes long. Don't fall asleep. Um, but know this. If you're, if you're just now coming to Renaissance, listen, you're going to get a picture of what we used to look like. And I'm, I'm only showing you this video now because I think this is also, I'll give you my clothes. I think this is where we're headed to. 
I think what God started five years ago with the building campaign, and then we did a big building project, and then we got into the new space, and then COVID hit, right? That's hard. I don't think God's changed his opinion on what we're supposed to be as a church. I think he still wants us to grow. I think he still wants us to continue. And I think we got to deal with some of this stuff that we talked about today. But I want to show this video so that you might be uh, inspired of the little beginnings that we had and then maybe have hope for the future of where we're headed. Let's watch this video. Look at that picture. Um, we're in that room that that video was shot, seven, uh, 2017. We're in that space. So um, God was faithful to us. We had a building campaign that was more successful than every person said it should be. Um, I met with bankers. They said, listen, if you, if you get pledges for $200,000, you can expect, I don't know, some 50% of those pledges to come in. So you're only gonna get half the money. We had pledges of $386,000 come in that opening weekend and over the next couple of weeks, $386,000. We brought in over $500,000 for that. Yes. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bow, I'm gonna praise, I'm gonna worship him. I'm not gonna do the work, it's his work. Okay, the reason I show you that video and the reason I talk about the church is because I wanna ask you the question. So we know what the church is, but what is the church to you? What is it to you? Is it the mother like Cyprian talks about? Does, does the church have a role in your life and a voice in your life? And dude, hear me. The church, because it's made up of broken people, is oftentimes broken. Yuck, I vomit when I read the, the newspaper articles too. I hate it. But it's still the bride of Christ and it's still the institution that he's established on the earth to preach the gospel. It's still the institution that he wants to use to encourage people in their faith, to encourage people and stir them up to love and to good works. And I believe the church is gonna to continue to grow. And I believe that Renaissance is going to continue to grow as well. I'll finish with this. For so many months now, I've been thinking that we, that the Lord has been talking to me. I'm not trying to oversell this. I'm not trying to oversell this. Lord, let them hear what I'm trying to say. That I've sensed for some time that the church is going to grow again. And, and I, again, I don't, I don't know how, what that looks like. It doesn't matter to me what it looks like. I just believe it. And I just held on to that for some time. I didn't share that with many people at all. Well, over the last few months, I've had an, a series of conversations with no less than four or five individuals who have come to me, people that I trust, who hear from the Lord, and they've said something very similar. God is starting something again right now. He's going to do something again right now. God is not finished with what we've started. He's going to continue. And, and no less than four or five people have told me that. So I'm only sharing that to you, not, not to persuade you, because I can't, but to ask you, if you want to be a part of this church and to ask you, do you want to be part of the mission? Do you want to be part of getting crowded again? Do you want to, do you want to fight for parking spaces again? That's my favorite thing to do on a Sunday is to fight for a parking spot. And, and all you people, and I love you, I always, I worship in the back just so you know, I watch you come in late. I love you late people. Like you're my people people. You're, you're not gonna have a seat any longer. As the church continues to grow, if you don't come earlier, you're going to be standing. Are you ready for that? What does the church mean to you? What does the church at Capital C Church mean to you? And what does little church, what does Renaissance mean to you? 
Do you want to partner together? Do you want to change the city? Do you want to change lives for people? Do you want to do that? Let's do it together, right? It ain't going to be me. It's not going to, it's going to be the church, us following Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the church at home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.